Welcome to Humidity Matters. The purpose of this podcast is to help you make a better measurement. Better meaning more accurate and more reliable. Because when you do make a more accurate and reliable measurement, then you and your business are more efficient and you get a higher quality output product. Remember, humidity measurement really does matter. I'm Bruce McDuffie, your host, and I've been in the humidity measurement business for about 12 years. I've taught humidity seminars and webinars around the globe, helping people just like you make better humidity measurements. My co-host is Steve Santoro, a 35-year veteran of humidity measurement. And Steve has seen many, many applications that require humidity measurement. He knows what works and perhaps even more importantly, what doesn't work. Welcome, Steve. Hey, Bruce. Great to be back. Thanks for having me again. You bet. And in this episode, Steve, wow, you know, we're already on episode six. How about that? That's great. <laughs> Killing it. <laughs> so in this one, we're going to discuss a fundamental measurement called wet bulb temperature. And by fundamental, I mean it's not derived from other measurements. Um, it's a direct measurement, in this case, temperature. So that's why it's fundamental, because we're measuring a parameter directly. But going forward here, we'll refer to it just as wet bulb. And a little bit of history on the wet bulb. It was James Hutton first got the idea that if he put a wet sock on a thermometer, that he would be able to measure the cooling effect and the humidity in the air. But he didn't get the idea to aspirate it. So it wasn't until about 100 years later when August Brevet got the idea to tie the thermometer to a string and sw sling it above his head to aspirate it. And that basically around the late 1800s invented the sling psychrometer. And from there, there've been many, many different types of psychrometers. And from there, there's been many different types of psychrometers that have been invented over the years. Steve, maybe you could share with, from your experience how the measurement works, this wet bulb measurement. Sure. So we think of uh, having two matched thermometers. Uh, one, a conventional thermometer that you'd be used to with a bulb with a, a fluid in it. And another thermometer that has a, a sock or a, a material over the end of the bulb. And that sock would be uh, wet with generally clean distilled water. And by uh, moving these two thermometers or slinging them around or uh, pushing air over them, uh, you'll have evaporative cooling on the sensor with the, uh, the wick and the sock. And by looking at the difference between the wet bulb temperature and the dry bulb temperature, you can use a psychometric chart or calculations to then come up with the relative humidity. And this would have been one of the earlier ways to make that measurement before some of the newer solid state technologies were developed. And it sort of works on this concept of uh, that wet thermometer would be cooler uh, due to evaporative cooling as the air is moving over it. And I think an example people might relate to is you, you, know, you jump into a pool and when you get out and you're wet and the air is blowing by you, you feel cool. And that's due to the same type of effect. So essentially, when water evaporates, it uses energy in the air. And by using up that energy, the temperature of the air cools down. That's correct. You got it, Bruce. Got it. And so in a, in a drier condition where the relative humidity is low and temperature is high, you've got a much 
more much better opportunity to evaporate and it com- consumes even more energy when it evaporates and that's how we get to the measurement that's right bruce yes got it also steve there's been many different types of psychrometers as we uh discussed by the way a psychrometer is what we call a wet bulb measurement instrument and it's i guess you'd say it's a type of hygrometer anyways uh have you seen these in the field, Steve, or are there different types? You mentioned the sling psychrometer where we, we sling it over our head or have it on a little slinging device. Are there others? Yeah, and it, I'd say the, the sling is probably the one of the most common and most readily available. And as you mentioned, it's the two thermometers generally in a case, one with the sock, one without. We wet that sock and basically swing it around your head, either on a, on a string or on a handle to rotate it and, and get that air flowing by. Uh, the two sensor tips. Uh, there are some more sophisticated ones that have been built that could be tabletop industrial instruments where you have a fan uh, and that fan can then push the air over the two sensors. So instead of physically having to swing this thing around now where we've got a fan to push the air over the two sensors, that's another alternative. And these can become fairly precise as you start to put uh, better components in uh, to a setup like that. Uh, those would be some of the more common ones that have existed over the years that in some cases might still be in use. Okay, good. Thanks for sharing those. I ran into one once years ago, and I used to have a hygrometer collection. I buy them on eBay. <laughs> I still have some <laughs> of them. One of my favorites is the Asman. <laughs> if, if you're a Seinfeld fan, <laughs> you can relate to why that's funny. <laughs> Uh, anyways, in 1892, Richard Asman built this aspirated psychrometer, and what he did is he took the actual works of a clock and he modified it so you actually would wind this device up just like a clock, and then a little fan would whir from the spring, and the fan would draw up air across two different thermometers, one with the wet wet sock and one that's dry, and it became very popular. And um, you ever heard of that one, Steve? Not by that name, but uh, I'll have to look into it, being a Seinfeld fan. There you go. So, Steve, have you seen any applications in the recent years where wet bulb is still used to measure humidity in industrial uh, processes? Yeah, there there are a handful of them that uh, are sort of legacy measurements. So a lot of the specifications may be uh, going back decades based around wet bulb, dry bulb as design or efficiency criteria. And as a result of that, uh, to be able to relate to those older designs and older specifications, wet bulb temperature is still a quantity or a a, a moisture humidity measurement that people need. Uh, I'd say the most common one we see is for cooling tower efficiency. So cooling towers that, that work on evaporative cooling have been around for for decades were designed and developed back when the wet bulb, dry bulb was the way to make the measurement. Uh, And that's how efficiency is designed. And that's how these uh, units are optimized. So instead of using a conventional wet bulb, dry bulb type of solution that we talked about, we can use an electronic instrument, relative humidity sensor that's capacitive electronic to measure relative humidity. We measure temperature. And then from that, we can calculate to wet bulb. And so- For a lot of these cases, it's using the current technology to equate back to older designs, older specifications, so we can compare things equally. That makes sense. So have you seen other applications besides evaporative cooling that use 
wet bulb, maybe even not only just the measurement wet bulb, but the actual technology? Yeah, I would. In early, uh, more it was a common measurement in environmental test chambers. Again, if we think mm -hmm. back 30, 40 years ago when that was a, a fairly inexpensive way to measure relative humidity and temperature. Uh, it was somewhat common in a lot of these environmental test chambers. Uh, it has some advantages, especially if things might be corrosive in nature, that it could be used in there. But it was a common design in, in environmental test chambers, but over the years has been displaced with an electronic sensor, like a capacitive polymer that can be calibrated, traceable. It doesn't have the maintenance that a wet bulb, dry bulb have. You didn't have to worry about keeping that sock moist at all times. So maybe a little bit higher initial cost, but far less maintenance and far less lifetime cost and a traceable, calibratable, uh, reliable instrument has displaced a lot of the older wet bulb type of measurement solutions. I see. And it just so happens that Visola manufactures a solid state capacitive sensor. Is that correct? That, that is correct. Uh, 50 years ago this year, it was invented. And I'd say in my early days, some of those were replacing and seeing those wet bulb, dry bulb sensors, which were pretty much the solution for, for decades in the past. Well, those are interesting applications. And I mentioned earlier that this is a fundamental measurement. So we're directly measuring temperature and then using a chart or a formula to convert. You would think that it would be highly accurate. Is that the case? It can be uh, if you've taken uh, a lot of care with the measurement. However, there are so many small parts of, of the measurement where an error can occur and these become uh, cumulative. So you have two thermometers, the wet bulb one and the dry bulb one, they each have their own inaccuracy. And then you have a sock or a, or a wick that you put on the wet bulb thermometer and that is when it's brand new is clean and in great shape, but as it gets older, it can get frayed and the material can dissipate. It may not retain the same amount of moisture. It can get dirty and that dirt may block the ability for it to absorb some moisture. Uh, you're supposed to use clean distilled water, but sometimes if people just have what they have around, they're gonna use, it could be tap or dirty water or some other fluid to wet it and that can have an impact on it. And then when we think about a, uh, a sling, psychrometer physically you're who's swinging this around how fast are they swinging it around uh, and as soon as you stop swinging that the quicker you can read that thermometer the more accurate it will be but there's going to be some time lag for when you stop slinging it when the air stops moving to when you can get it in front of you read those two measurements and then write them down and then you do have to do some calculation to take the wet bulb and dry bulb to get to relative humidity so each of these by themselves may not be uh, an enormous impact, but cumulatively, there's so many small places you can uh, create some error that the overall measurement can become pretty tough to replicate and get a traceable, accurate, repeatable measurement over time. Wow. So there's a lot of variables in a wet bulb measurement that, and each variable adds a bit to the uncertainty. That's correct. I guess if we were to have a discussion about the pros and cons of the wet bulb measurement, which, by the way, folks, that's our next episode, pros and cons of technology. If we were to discuss the pros and cons, it sounds like one of the cons or the negatives would be all these different measurement variables. That's correct. And there's a maintenance involved with this as well, that uh, you have to have that water source in 
keep the wicks up and know when to change these parts out and the inaccuracies again of the thermometers by themselves. So there are again variable places. And then if I think of, you know, one of the, the upsides is if we think of a pro, it, these are fairly inexpensive devices. So in some cases, a, a highly accurate precision instrument may not be needed and a rough estimate could be acceptable. And, and these are devices that you can pick up for 100, maybe even $50 and, and come up with measurements and use a psychometric chart to calculate and, and, and look up what the relative humidity would be corresponding to the wet bulb, dry bulb, or some other variable like dew point. Once we have wet bulb, dry bulb, we can calculate these these other variables. Um, it is somewhat also a, a, a device that needs no power. So if you were uh, had no access to power or were remote, I mean, I think one of the examples we've talked to sometimes a forest rangers, people that could be out in the field, they don't have access to power, but they want to be able to bake or need to make measurements uh, maybe out in the field. And this is a place where you might use a device like this. So you you give up the accuracy and the performance and the traceability, but you get the inexpensive measurement and uh, you don't need power. That might be a few places where it could still have some uh, applicable uses. Yeah, that makes sense. So if, if you picture yourself, uh, say, a forest ranger with a big pack on your back and you're hiking through the forest and you need to make a measurement of the relative humidity you don't want to be carrying a battery with you or a big device or you don't have power so you just have a sling psychrometer and a bottle of distilled water get it out of your pack sling it around take the measurements boom you're done <laughs> not really we believe that, <laughs> but we believe there are a few of those people still out there so yeah yeah i was gonna say not really a fit for industrial process but uh an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, and you appreciate how uh, the new technology has evolved compared to what you used to have to do to get these measurements and how much exactly. more precise and repeatable they can be. Exactly. So we have, just to clear up something for our listeners, we've got the parameter, wet bulb temperature, and then we've got the technology wet bulb. Can you talk a little bit more to help differentiate those two things for our listeners? Yeah, I, I guess if we think of the technology, we've sort of focused a bit on that, the, the two thermometers, the wet and the dry, the wet sock, and how that relates to the wet bulb temperature with the evaporative cooling. Mm -hmm. But the parameter itself, again, is one of the measurements, ways we express moisture, since it historically has been around for a long time as wet bulb temperature. It exists on the psychometric chart as a parameter, and we can include uh, in the notes to the podcast, uh, a link to a psychometric chart for people who would like to use them and, and get familiar with uh, how they can be used to calculate and uh, come up with other moisture parameters. Generally, once you have two of these uh, points on the, on the psychometric chart, you can relate to other moisture parameters. Wet bulb uh, and dry bulb could be used to calculate and get to relative humidity. Or in some cases, we might use relative humidity and temperature to get to wet bulb. So that parameter mm -hmm. has existed for decades. And a lot of times we need it to be able to relate back to old designs, old specifications that were developed around that wet bulb measurement. And that parameter would still exist, especially for historical reasons, historical specifications. So we can relate current solutions, current technology to past designs and past technology. Yeah, I love the psychometric chart. And yes, we'll include uh, a PDF file of a psychometric chart in SI units at elevate at seat level. And uh, you guys can download it and have all kinds of fun. And I wanted to share an application that I see all the time, Steve. Okay. I live here in, uh, in Colorado, 
where in the summer, it's, it's a very dry climate on well, the winter too, sometimes. And many of the houses around the neighborhoods have what's called a swamp cooler on the roof. Okay. A swamp cooler is a mini evaporative cooling tower. And as long as it's dry and hot, then those are very efficient. You flood a, a medium with water and then you drop air over it with a fan and it blows in nice cool air into your house and it's much less expensive than the air conditioning system but it doesn't work if it's too humid if you try to use it in places like houston or st louis it's not going to work because all you're going to get is hot wet air into your house and this is uh you use the wet bulb temperature measurement to determine if on the particular day you're going to get nice, cool, dry air, or if you're going to get cool, wet air. And it's yeah. just a big mess. You ever seen Interesting those? Interesting Yeah. Down up in the Boston area. Uh, yeah, Boston. We have our work, four climates. Yeah. We, we get the, <laughs> it can be warm and humid here in the summer, that's for sure. So, uh, but probably the reason it's not as common here as it would be where you are. Yeah, you see them, you know, high, the high desert areas like, Colorado Plains and Arizona, they work great. Maybe some of the northern Texas areas, but yeah, it's 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 directly related to the wet bulb temperature measurement for sure. Well, that wraps up our sixth episode, Steve. And as usual, great to share those examples of the wet bulb temperature parameter and wet bulb technology. I'm sure these real life application stories are really helpful for our audience. Well, Bruce, I appreciate you having me back. I always enjoy chatting about these options and uh, different parameters that are out there that we work with every day. So folks, in our next episode, we're going to talk about the pros and cons of a few of the more common measurement technologies. And because when you do understand the technology and how it works, then you're able to pick the best instrument for your application. And that alone solves a lot of measurement issues that we see every day. Choosing the right instrument is very important and the right technology. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, when it comes to product quality and process efficiency, humidity measurement does matter.